Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2019-20 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We are back after a few-week hiatus. We'll tell you on today's show, are the Shockers back? We'll start by reviewing and recapping the wins over UCF and Tulane. Then we'll be joined by Voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy. We'll get his thoughts on this year's Shockers along with the TBT and Shocker Baseball. Then we'll get you ready for this week's games, a home matchup with the USF Bulls, the pink out game, and a big road test on Sunday at Cincinnati. Great show coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We were off for a few weeks due to travel, most notably the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Just wanted to speak that into the world again. But it appears we've always missed our show this year when the Shockers have lost. So maybe it's on us. We It's our fault for the three-game losing streak, but we're back with you now. Taylor, let's start there. We'll get to the games in just a second. But, you know, we saw a close loss last second against Tulsa. Close loss last second against Cincinnati. A Houston game that you just wanted to throw the film out and, and never really think about again. Now we've seen them recover over these two games. You've had a lot at Kansas.com, on Twitter, at Taylor Eldridge, all over the place with the video. But, uh, you know, just kind of recap these last few weeks for us and, and where do you think this team is right now? And are they past, you know, some of these issues that seem to have festered up at last Monday's practice? Yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting season to kind of dissect for for Wichita State. Uh, you know, you look at it, fifteen and one, they ascend to as high as number sixteen in the country, and then they go through a little adversity. You know, they they have a really bad second half at Temple, uh, lose that one on the road, uh, get worked at home by Houston, and then uh, you know kind of right the ship a little with uh, two wins over South Florida, UCF, and then the two heartbreakers and that's the that's the, the maybe the turning point of this season because you think back and you know they have the ball at the game tied 10 seconds left you know no way they're going to lose that game in regulation but you know the shot clock violation they don't get a shot up they leave Tulsa three seconds to work with and you know they they produce that magical three-pointer at the the buzzer and uh, they somehow lose that game and then the Cincinnati game you know you're up two under 10 seconds left. No way they're going to lose that in regulation. What do you do? Jaron Cumberland, foul him. Uh, he makes a, the incredible layup and then the the free throw to win that game. So it's not, you know, they were not far away at all. You know, literally two plays. Two plays uh, that could have gone either way from from being tied for first place, you know, being 19-3, and three, being back in the top 25, but instead, you know, they lose back-to-back heartbreakers. And then I thought that just kind of completely killed them going into that road game. He's like, you know, you're trying to get back on track. And then, okay, who who are we going to try to get back on track against? Oh, at Houston. That's just not, you know, that is the worst matchup for WSU. 
and uh, you know it showed you know you lose by 33 and the most disappointing thing about that game was you know they gave up and uh, for a Greg Marshall team to give up that's pretty much unheard of and it led to you know that come to Jesus meeting on Monday where they aired out a lot of um, you know real talk you know they a lot of jealousy a lot of resentment uh, about playing time about who should be playing more, who should be starting, stuff like that. And, you know, they just put everything on the table, got everything out. And uh, I think it helped, you know, talking with the players, talking with the coaches, just stuff on background. Um, everyone said that meeting really, really helped just, you know, release all that stuff and get it all out in the open. And, um, you know, you can see from just the, the way they played these last two games that they're back to playing that carefree, that selfless basketball you know, you look at the assist totals, I think they're averaging like 21 assists the last two games, and obviously you have to make shots to get assists, so um, that's a big part of it too. And uh, the most important thing these last two games was just how it was going to look. And, you know, yes, they're supposed to win at UCF. Yes, they're supposed to beat Tulane at home. But the way that WSU looked, that was the, the, the important part, at least to me, uh, moving forward. And, and WSU passed that test as well. Uh, I mean, the defense was uh, really, really good. And then the offense was crisp. It looked like it was. I mean, those are two of the best games they've had all season on the offensive end. And uh, so that was the most important part to, 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 to see, especially following that three-game losing stretch. And uh, are they past that? Who knows? I mean, it's tough to say. Uh, even after Thursday's game at home against South Florida, that's another game that they're uh, supposed to win. We'll we'll start to figure out those last five games though. No gimmies in those last five games. That's one which I'll say is going to really prove to itself: is it an NCAA tournament team or are they headed to the NIT? You've said in the past on this show that basketball looks a whole lot better when the ball's going in the hoop. So for these last two games, was it strictly just the ball was going into the hoop more often? Or, you know, I, I think you can see the Shockers running a little bit more. You can certainly, to your point, the assist numbers have gone up, playing selfless basketball. Has the results on the offensive end been a result of that? Or have we just seen a little better shooting from guys that we knew are pretty darn good shooters and had already been making it in practice? Yeah, that's a great question. I've uh, been studying. I am not all the way through, but I am... Um I've watched five of the last seven games, so I need to watch two more, both of the Houston games, actually. Um, but yeah, I was, Hide your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the question I wanted to get at was, you know, how much of this is just a matter of WSU finally making open shots, and how much is this a change in the style? And uh, I know I still have two games to go, but some of the, the, the things that are becoming clear is that WSU is playing much faster these last two games. They are pushing the tempo. They are uh, really trying to score in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. And uh, so the three games I looked at was the Tulsa loss, the Temple loss, and the USF game uh, where they won, but it was pretty ugly. And uh, all three of those games, you know, uh, the Tulsa game, they score two points. in trans So I, I counted just the first 10 seconds of the shot clock, two points against Tulsa. Uh, Temple, 13 points. USF, 16 points, so a little bit better. But uh, uh, the two games, the last two games, UCF, they've scored 29 points in the first 10 seconds. Against Tulane, it was 21 points. 
So what they're doing is pushing the ball in, in uh, transition. They're, they're doing a good job of limiting teams to one shot on the defensive end, grabbing the rebound, and then pushing it and going. And they're attacking that backpedaling defense. And I got Marshall to kind of talk about it today about, you know, it's just easier to attack a defense that's not fully set uh, compared to, you know, walking it up and, and trying to break down a, a defense that's, you know, just waiting for you. So they're having success with that. But also, to your point, Yes, they are finally making wide open shots, and uh, their encouraging thing is that um, they're getting so many open shots, and it's not like they're making tough, you know, guarded, contested shots. Uh, I took a, a look at that as well, and um, so good shots I would consider, you know, high percentage looks at the rim or wide open jumpers, wide open threes that are in rhythm. So uh, the Tulsa game, they went. 11 for 28 on good shots. Uh, that is 2 for 16 on the three-point line. So that's pretty horrendous to, to shoot wide open threes at a 12% clip. Temple game, they shoot 13 for 26, which is good, but 2 for 7 on threes. So struggled again. USF, they shoot 14 of 31. A little better, but still these are, are the best looks you're getting. So to shoot under 50%, uh, not great. So... Um, you look fast forward to these last two games, UCF, 24 of 33. So you can see the difference there. They're taking advantage. They're finally making wide open shots. They went 9 of 15 on wide open threes. And then the two-lane game, 26 of 36. So you can see all a, a good, good chunk of the offense is coming from good wide open, sh uh, wide open shots. And then 12 of 18 on wide open threes. So as you can see, the Shockers are getting a lot of really good looks, and now they're finally making them. And is that sustainable? You know, who knows? But it's good to see WSU finally starting to make those wide open looks that they're they're producing. I think the best news for this team is after that three-game stretch where, you know, you have the three tough losses in a row, there's still a consensus at-large team in the NCAA tournament right now, currently a 10 seed in the latest ESPN bracketology, and certainly things can change over these last few weeks. But the Shockers have a lot of opportunity in front of them. Three out of their six remaining games are against teams above them in the AAC standings. You have the game at SMU, you have Tulsa at home, and then at Cincinnati on Sunday, which we'll talk about. About later in the show. You also have a game at Memphis who is just right behind the Shockers so certainly it can go the other way as well but they do feel you know like they're still uh, you know you know, in that NCAA tournament discussion, currently 45th in the net rankings, which the NCAA tournament committee will will take a strong look at. Let's get into the games from this past week. We saw Wichita State with a 75-58 win at UCF, and this is where we saw the big shakeup in the starting lineup. Noah Fernandez, he's the 11th different shocker to start a game this year. He scores a career-high 7 points. We had Stevenson with 27 points, but actually 45 out of the 75 points for Wichita State came from their bench. They were plus 25 in bench production. So my first question is for you, does it really matter who starts the game? Is it's not just whoever's hot that game and whoever's, you know, working within the offense? Yeah, it really doesn't. And Marshall has pointed that out time and again. And um, the more important thing to look at is who is on the court when the game is being decided. You know, in the last five minutes of games, of close games, who does Marshall trust then? That's a more important thing. And I think it kind of speaks to, I mean, that was, you know, that's why it's so trivial for, for players to be upset about who's starting and who's not because, you know, you could start 
and play five minutes, and or you could come off the bench like Eric Stevenson did, play 30 minutes, score 27 points like he did at UCF. So it honestly does not matter. It's uh, it's just a matter of you know who who is out there on the court to start the game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Marshall has shown, especially these last two games, he's gotten back to that deeper bench, and uh, maybe that has something to do with just the, the game script. And uh, with Tulane, I know that was that was the game plan because they only play seven players. But I think uh, you're starting to see him getting more comfortable playing, you know, 9, 10, 11 guys again, uh, whereas, you know, early in the conference season he was playing seven, sometimes eight and it kind of restricted that that playing uh, rotation. But, yeah, Fernandes has been uh, the spark that WSU needs, and uh, Marshall has just raved about this guy, and uh, he's delivered. You know, I thought he was excellent considering the circumstances of that first game, you know, you know to come off after basically not playing the last two months, never playing a significant, you know, uh, role, and to, to score seven points and, and make two assists and, uh, just to play just a good four general game. I thought he he did uh, very well in that debut, and uh, he's he was kind of the uh, the spark that that WSU needed to to get back to playing that team basketball. Well, we talked about it in you know before we even got into the season about how Noah was very active, and and you could see that in the games here. So it's almost as by widening the bench, there's more of a sense of urgency from all of the players that when they're in the game, you certainly need to be producing, or else you're going to be right back out. Yeah, and he's, uh, you know, you saw the, the he probably had one of the, the best uh, play angry moments of the season, you know, Thursday and uh, against Tulane. And, um, yeah, just the, the way that he is, uh, affects the game without scoring, you know, that's what Marshall loves is, is guys that can come in, play great defense, you know, fight for loose balls, get rebounds, make assist pass. Uh, so those are the things that, that make, you know, just winning plays. And, you know, they don't show up in the box score. You know, Noah Fernandes is not going to, you know, average, you know, 15 points or, or eight assists or anything like that. But he helps you win games. And that's what, you know, Marshall cares about. And he plays his role. And that's exactly what WSU needs right now. Speaking of winning games, the Shockers were able to take care of Tulane 82-57. Dexter Dennis has a career-high 21 points and 9 rebounds. Tyson Etienne has 20 points on 6-for-8 three-point shooting. And Tyson and Landry Shamit are now the only freshmen under Greg Marshall to have multiple 20-point games. So what would you think about the effort against the Green Wave? Yeah, uh, you know, they finally got back on track. Like I said, those shooting numbers, you know, they, they produced a lot of wide-open threes, and they knocked them down. And, you know, Tyson Etienne, he's a, a perfect example of one who was getting a ton of open looks during that 2-5 and five kind of slide, and he was not connecting. You know, I remember the, the Tulsa game. I think he had like five or six of those wide-open looks, and he even airballed one. And that's just so unlike him because he's such a knockdown shooter. So he was kind of going through a little lull there. And then, uh, yeah, so for him to break out of that, and it was just a matter of time. Uh, you know, he's such a good shooter. Uh, he's so consistent. Uh, you know, he's going to have a lot of these five, six, seven, three-point games. And uh, so for him to get that career high, not surprising, uh, especially when you go back to, on the film and watch the, the quality of his looks. It wasn't like he was, you know, shooting over contested, uh, you know, outstretched hands. A lot of those looks were wide open because of, you know, how well WSU was running the offense. And, um, you know, what stands out to me about him is uh, he's so good in transition in the passing. You know, he has some slick passes, some no-look 
uh, dimes to, to people cutting down the middle. And, you know, teams are so, um, you know, they're so worried about uh, staying attached to him and, and rushing out to the three-point line that they kind of, you know, get out of position a little bit. And he uses that to his ex- advantage. And I thought he's had a very, very good freshman campaign. And, uh, yeah, it's just now about getting back to that consistent shooting, you know, kind of dipped there a little uh, during the, the losing spell. But if they can get to him, get him back to, you know, making at least two, three uh, threes per game, that's that's what the, the consistency that WSU offense needs. Burton became the sixth shocker to reach 200 assists by the end of his sophomore season, a list that also includes Van Fleet and Shamit. Let's go back to Dexter Dennis for just a second. You had a video on Twitter today. He seems to be moving with the basketball, not just you know a jump shoot, uh, stand and jump shooter, but seems to be getting some more action into the lane, which is creating for other players as well. Yeah, he's uh, his in-season development as an off-the-dribble creator has been pretty remarkable in my opinion because this is a guy who basically could not put it on the ground last year and even early in the season when he was going through his struggles just did not look comfortable dribbling the basketball and you know for him to be you know now he's getting the ball five seconds left on the shot clock and he's making a move and, and creating space for himself and knocking down a jumper he's you know attacking the lane drawing a second defender and then kicking out uh, you know we're seeing the evolution the, him leveling up his game before our very eyes, and you know, in these last two weeks, and even in that those uh, those losses, I thought the the Houston game, you could see him. Uh, he was one of the the very few players who I thought really fought and really showed a good effort, and you saw a little bit of it there. And then the UCF game, he you know he had a career high six assists, and then Tulane, I think he had three more, and yeah, he's just he's getting. So I mean he has he's such a good athlete so getting dribble penetration is not a problem it was just a matter of can his handle catch up to that athleticism and now we've seen that handle improve he is you know pretty much consistently getting dribble penetration and now his vision is is improving and he's not only seeing three point shooters uh you know the play of the game that or Marshall one of the uh Marshall's favorite plays from that Tulane game was you know he tracks down an offensive rebound he dribbles to the middle goes up draws two defenders and then he has the the wherewithal to to dump it off to Eric Stevenson on the other side kind of a no look pass and for a wide open easy layup and you know that's a play that freshman Dexter Dennis does not make that's a play that he probably doesn't make you know 2 months ago but, you know, he has uh, really, really improved his overall game. And I think uh, with the way Jaime Echenique is playing, now we're getting Dexter Dennis, that, that first-team all-conference kind of guy. We're getting uh, him back on track. So, yeah, I mean, which I'll say that's very encouraging to get him back to playing basically like the player they thought they were getting, you know, from the start of the sophomore season. But now we're starting to see, you know, he's playing like that first-team all-conference guy. Shockers are 19 and 6, 7 and 5 in the AAC, currently in 5th place. As a reminder, the top 4 teams get a bye in the conference tournament, but with 6 regular season games remaining, what do you think they got to go the rest of the way to feel comfortably in the NCAA at large picture? Uh comfortably probably 5 and 1. It would be my guess. You know, obviously the you got to take care you of You have business. some quad 1 opportunities here, particularly starting with Sunday's game at Cincinnati. Yeah, that's that's one of the two that they have to win in my opinion. Um so you got to take care of business at home. You can't lose at home. Uh so that means wins over South Florida, Temple and Tulsa. And then you look at the three road games left, Cincinnati, SMU, Memphis. 
I think one probably gets them in. So if they can go four and two, I think that probably gets them in. But if you're asking me, what do they feel? Okay, we're definitely in. You win two of them, uh, either at Memphis or at Cincinnati. I think if they go five and one, they're going to prove to the committee uh, that they they are an NCAA tournament team. Like you said, those would be uh, probably two Q1 wins, uh, depending on where SMU finishes. They're right on that that uh, bubble, uh, right in that top 75 mark. So um, it's going to depend on that. But I think if they go five and one down the stretch, you're automatic. I think they're they're definitely in. Uh, but four and two probably in, and then three and three, you're you're gonna probably have to win uh, a game or two more than expected in the conference tournament. I think the goal has just got to be to get to around third place. You know, whether it's five or one or four and two, get get back up towards the top half of the conference there. And they really don't have any bad losses let yet this year. So let's not have any of those happen over these last six games. But I would completely agree. Take care of business at home and still two out of those three. You know, SMU, they still have to play Tulsa. They play Wichita State. Cincinnati still has Houston and Wichita State. Tulsa has Houston, you know, and SMU, Wichita State. So a lot of these teams are going to be playing each other. So very quickly, you know, could see the the standings start to shift there a little bit. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy. We'll get his thoughts as the Shockers come down the home stretch of the regular season. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We're joined now by a voice that needs no introduction to Shocker fans. It's Voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy. Mike, how are you today? I'm well, and you guys? We're doing well. It's a busy time of year. We have baseball and softball hitting the diamond and getting a stretch run. Only six conference games left here in the regular season, so thought it was a perfect time to have you on and talk particularly about the men's basketball team. We've seen two uh, bounce-back performances here after the three-game losing streak. There was a three-game losing streak back in 2012-2013 that I seem to remember, but when you look at this team, particularly over the last two games, you know what would be the biggest difference, in your opinion, as to what has led to their success? They seem to be sharing the ball a little better, maybe uh, you know, running a little bit more, but what have you seen, and do you think those you know issues that were surrounding that, that three-game stretch other than just being good competition have they been able to move past that well you know with those kinds of things you never know for sure i don't know that you just absolutely resolve it and end it all with one really good air clearing meeting like they had but i think it was a big step in the right direction and to follow up that session and play as well as they have the last couple of games i think reinforces all the things they talked about you mentioned them sharing the ball they're doing that well again. But beyond that, they just seem to be enjoying each other again, having fun. I think this is a group of guys that really does like each other, but I think they just got away from some of the things that have made them successful in the first, whatever, two-thirds or so of the season. Yeah, Coach, and, or uh, Mike, you mentioned the how th- that meeting last Monday and listening to, to Greg talk about it on, on that radio show. I mean, you got him. Uh, I mean, he he just kind of opened up uh, more than I think I've ever heard him, and he he got real, and it sounded like that that meeting was real. Do you feel like this is the most these last two years have kind of challenged Coach Marshall in in more ways, or I guess unique ways than he's ever been challenged at Wichita State? I believe they have, but but I believe that's also 
been good for him. And I mean, let, let's face it, the guy's always been an outstanding coach. He's always been good at handling people and knowing how to handle situations. But I think that, um, but I think last year, especially uh, going through that tough early stretch and, and having to really stay patient and work with a group of young guys to get them where he did at the end of the season was, was maybe a little bit different for him. Some of that approach was a little different than he might have handled it with a more veteran team. And I think he liked the, not only the result, but the way he felt in accomplishing that. And so I think some of that has carried over this year. And, and so I think these last two years are a little different in the way he looks at things and the way he approaches things a little bit. Three of the final six games for Wichita State in the regular season will be against teams that are currently ahead of them in the conference standing, so certainly have a lot of opportunity. Have the game with USF on Thursday and then a big road test at Cincinnati on Sunday, currently number one in the conference with Houston at 10-3. and three. If we go back to the game in Wichita, you know, we really saw the, the Wichita State offense break out, but their defense, which they had been able to depend on, had some lapses. So if we look ahead to Sunday, what do you think is the biggest key? in the game against the Bearcats and then as a tag on to that who do you consider the biggest rival for the Shockers right now well the first question I I think that uh, they did a pretty good job on most of Cincinnati's personnel I I thought they did a a pretty good job on vote he really didn't get many touches because he was in foul trouble Uh, I thought they did a nice job on Trey Scott who was playing at the time about as well as any big man in the conference Uh, it just came down to Jaron Cumberland as a handful and uh, you know when he's on it's really really difficult to stop him even if you defend him well so uh, that's the challenge and uh, you know they'll try some things I'm sure to if nothing else, keep the ball out of his hands a little bit more or whatever. But uh, I think, you know, it probably comes down to that one guy on that team more than any other team in the conference where one guy makes that much difference. And uh, I think that's that's what they're going to have to do. And then they're going to have to score some points. They had a good offensive game against Cincinnati here. I don't think they can just completely stop them enough to, to win like a 60-58 to 58 game. I think they're going to have to score themselves. And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the other part of the question. <laughs> Just really, who's their biggest rival right now? I thought, uh, you know, last year everyone uh, focused on Cincy. This year we, we thought it was going to be Memphis, and, and, you know, who knows, it might still be Tulsa, you know, certainly runs there as well. So I was just curious on your opinion. You know, that's hard to say because um, right now everything is still pretty new in this league. And, and you know, rivalries stem from not only having some strong feeling about a particular opponent for whatever reason, but the fact that those games are important in a conference race or whatever it may be. So uh, Cincinnati, certainly it was the first couple of years. Uh, Those are two pretty intense coaches with Mick Cronin there at the time and Greg Marshall. And so uh, it just kind of fed into that becoming something of a rivalry right off the bat. I think for the soccer fans, Tulsa will always be, something of a rivalry, but until this year, those games have not been quite as important. Um, You know, I don't know. I I think that that will continue to evolve. I know that that Memphis potentially was one this year just because some of the things that were said at the beginning of the season, but uh, Wichita State played really well in the first Memphis game and, and, uh, you know, really kind of took control of that situation. So, I don't know. Right now, it's it's hard to say. And, uh, you know, there's also 
Wichita State's had its share of ups and downs with Temple, and so that becomes a you know kind of a, if not a rivalry game, kind of a grudge game a little bit to to get that one back after they didn't play very well earlier. Yeah, and uh, the question, Mike, uh, a lot of Shocker fans are wondering now is, is this team back? And it's it's kind of funny because I, I feel like. Uh, the lows of the lows, you know, everyone, it seems like a lot of fans are really, really discouraged after that Houston loss. And um, the way that I phrased it was, you know, they're one, you know, shot away from winning at Tulsa. They're one defensive stand from winning at, against Cincinnati. And they would have been, you know, tied for first place going into that Houston game. And, you know, it just kind of shows you how thin that line can be. And uh, so I don't think the lows, the lows of the lows weren't as bad as it seemed. And I, I don't, I'm not convinced, you know, the high, these last two games, you know, the highs are as high as it seems either. You know, you have to keep in mind it's UCF and Tulane. So uh, what what is kind of your opinion on, on where this team and is? And they're obviously trending in the right direction, but do you feel like they're, they're fully back to, to playing that, you know, that top 25 style of basketball they, they were? Yeah, I think you you kind of touched on it. There is a tendency to kind of overemphasize both ways, good and bad sometimes. And, you know, I think all of us were certainly a little surprised and, and pleased that the team was 15-1 and one after 16 games against the schedule they'd played. And it obviously shown a lot of potential to be really good. But Greg Marshall kept saying, you know, this is a very good team, but how much better can we be? We need to, you know, we need to keep pushing and improving some things if we're going to be the kind of a team that could potentially get to the second weekend of the tournament or, or whatever it may be. And and then, as you said, through that stretch, uh, they had a pretty bad second half at Temple. That was that was pretty bad basketball. And the Houston game was just awful in terms of effort and toughness and all of those things that are such a part of this program. But there were two games, as you said, that if they win those, nobody even would have been talking about, you know, a slump or whatever. Uh, if they pull out the Tulsa game, the Cincinnati game, both of which could have happened very easily. So I don't know. Maybe in some ways, uh, the Houston thing was a good thing. That seems crazy to say, but I, but I think it may have awakened some things and brought some things out that needed to get resolved. And so, so long answer to your question, I think out of all of that, they are back on the right track. Uh, this team still has plenty of improving to do and the potential to do that. There's talent there. Uh, as I said, I think these guys like each other, and uh, there's still plenty of time to turn this into a really good finish. Do you think there's one player on the team that that makes the team tick or makes the team go? And the only reason I ask you go back to the you know the Van Vliet and the in the Baker days, there were clearly you know the guys that you knew who the basketball was going in those late game moments. And now it seems like because of their depth and the talent, you know, each game you could have a Dexter Dennis, a Tyson, an Eric Stevenson going off for twenty points. So do they need that one alpha dog, or is there one player that makes this team go in your opinion, or is it really they're they're just more the the team is greater than the sum of its parts. Well, it's a, you know, it's a little different when you talk about one guy with this team than it was with a couple of the guys you mentioned. Because, for instance, with Fred Van Vliet, it was just a 
a natural that you wanted to have the ball in his hands because of what he could make happen, whether he scored himself or set it up for somebody else. There isn't that guy yet on this team that can do all of that and is the guy that you want to have the ball in his hands every time in a critical situation. So I think maybe the guy that, that can really make this team go more than any other, and it is a matter of balance and, and whoever's hot on a given night, whoever is in the right situation. But Dexter Dennis can can ignite a team, not only because of his just ability when he starts knocking down three-pointers, for instance, that's his talent really setting the team off, but he's also an exciting player, and he can do things drive and dunk it, or the wraparound pass he made the other night to Eric Stevenson, or just the way he ran down some loose balls the other night, are the kinds of things that can kind of ignite a team and get everybody else saying, oh, if he's going to do that, I, you know, I need to make that effort. And so I think if there is one guy that's maybe the most important in setting that tone, he might be it this year. Yeah, when you look at the the start, fifteen and one, you know they're ranked sixteenth in the country. Do you feel like uh, you know? Obviously, I feel like they overachieved by almost everyone's standards at that point, and it kind of created a new ceiling or a new expectation for this season. So, does it feel now that it's a NCAA tournament or bust kind of year? Um, you know, obviously last year they they wanted to to make the big dance, but you know the NIT felt like uh, you know they they were playing their best basketball, so uh, playing in a postseason tournament felt good to them. This year, I feel like almost it, it's kind of become that that thing where their everyone's expectation now is back to getting to the NCAA tournament. Do you kind of get that sense that that there it's going to be a pretty heartbreaking thing for especially you know Jaime Echenique his senior year if they don't get back to the big dance? Definitely for him, no question about it. But, uh, you know, I think it is probably a fair expectation from the fan base and everyone else uh, that this team be an NCAA tournament team this year. They've shown that they have that capability. Uh, They have beaten teams that, you know, for instance, now VCU may not end up being an NCAA tournament team after all, but they've beaten some teams that certainly could be NCAA tournament type teams. So I, I think it's there. And I think they've shown enough that it truly would be a little bit of a disappointment if they don't make the tournament now. So, yeah, I think that's a, that probably is an expectation. I think it's a reasonable one. We had the NBA All-Star Game last weekend, ended with the Elam ending in the fourth quarter, which of course reminds us of the TBT, and the tournament will be back this summer with Wichita as a regional. Do you think the program will use that uh, for any recruiting purposes, you know, seeing how uh, packed Coke Arena was to see those alumni players play? And did you have anyone on your list that you'd like to see come back and and play on the TBT this year? Well, that... uh... You know, I, I think that the recruiting thing would be a little bit of a secondary benefit of that because certainly they can show that to recruits anytime they play at home during the season. But uh, but sure, I, I, it's just another example of, of how basketball crazy people are here. Uh, from my own personal standpoint, you know, there were a couple of guys that potentially might have played in the event last year that didn't, Dale Cotton and Joe Ragland. And, I would love to see those guys back. In fact, Joe didn't even get to come back to town. I did see Takeo. He was here, and I got to talk to him. But uh, Joe Ranklin was always one of my favorite players to watch, and I think he is ideally suited for 
the TBT style, and, and I think it's kind of a guard-oriented tournament just from the way the, the flow of play goes. And so I think having Takale and uh, and Joe, and for that matter, Terrain Murray, who also was here and couldn't play last year, would really help that uh, Aftershock team be a little more prepared and suited to play in that tournament. Yeah, and uh, another name that that's really really popular. At least I get asked about a lot. Ron Baker. That's a that's a name that gets thrown around, and it'll be interesting to see if he plays. But uh, the, the question I have for you is another popular question I get is now with Fred Van Vliet's NBA success, and you know he's uh, NBA World Champion. You know, getting a vote for NBA Finals MVP. Uh, a lot of fans really want him to to get that jersey retired. Uh, I know Ron, uh, they're probably clamoring for the same thing. Uh, what's kind of your opinion on that? And, uh, you know, doing it so soon after, I, I know fans really want to see it happen, uh, but what, what would your opinion be on, on that jersey retirement? Obviously, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But uh, where, when do you think it should happen? And what would you tell fans that want to see it, you know, right away? Well, that's, you know, there's always been some of that kind of sentiment among fans, and there have been uh, a name or two mentioned over time that, you know, retiring their jersey that I thought was was actually a little bit of a stretch and a little premature, and, and you know, that's okay. It's great that the fans are passionate about it and, and they want to see those kind of things. Um, I can tell you how they've been on the Hall of Fame committee for many years. It's it's not easy to get in, and the standards are high for this Hall of Fame. And uh, having served on the Missouri Valley Committee, for instance, and you see people that are in other schools' halls of fame and, and that sort of thing, you wouldn't make it here uh, based on their credentials. So it's a big honor just to be in the Hall of Fame, and I, I think that maybe you know the waiting period, I think, is proper for that. And I think maybe before you just go retiring another jersey, you should give that just a little more time, a little more perspective. And, you know, for that matter, I think somebody like a Fred Van Vliet, and honestly, I don't think there's any question that that should take place at some point, that his jersey should be retired. But I think that, you know, I found over the years some of those guys themselves actually appreciate it more when they've been gone even a little longer. And maybe, you know, when Fred's really had a chance to absorb his pro career a little bit and his accomplishments there, that it might mean a little more to come back and have his jersey retired. I'm not opposed to it happening sooner, but uh, I think that may be the way it will tend to go. I I don't think there's much question that uh, once they're eligible, I think everybody kind of looks at it like, how do you separate one from the other they were they were so close and and so i think that when that time comes fred and ron are going to be a a dual entry i don't think there's any way that that should not happen last question for you mike and we'll get you out of here i was at the baseball first pitch banquet a few weeks ago and you had the 1989 national championship there but of course had some very nice things to say about new head coach eric wedge so just you know however long you want to take your thoughts on uh coach wedge taking over the program and and what you would expect here over the next couple years with shocker baseball you know um there have been just a a handful of extremely unique individuals that have come through the programs here in the 40 years that I've been really closely associated with them that just have a have had a, a really special unique combination of ability uh, just intangible 
intrinsic qualities for leadership and that sort of thing. And, and he was one of those. Xavier McDaniel, Fred Van Vliet, who we just mentioned. Uh, but Eric Wedge was just an incredible natural leader back when he was a college student and a player here. And of course, has carried that forward to a major league career. And given the fact that he was here, he experienced the greatest moment in the history of the program, was a big part of it, understands what soccer baseball means to people here, how it was built, how it was successful. I don't think you could have made a better choice to direct the soccer baseball program if you could have gotten Joe Madden or whoever. I just think that he is the perfect fit for that job and uh, just have a tremendous amount of faith and belief in what he's capable of. And I think that he is going to make it successful. And I hope people have the understanding that it's going to take a recruiting class or two to really get the talent level to the point where it's a really competitive national program again. It's in a, Wichita State's in one of the toughest baseball conferences in the country. The, the step up in basketball was significant in the American, but this is a top three to five baseball conference in the country. And so it's not easy to make those big strides upward in a hurry. But uh, I think just his knowledge of the game and how to teach it, and then beyond that, how to motivate and inspire people and get the best out of them, I think will really start to show itself even this year. I, I think this team will be more competitive and show some things this year that will certainly encourage people on what it's going to be. And then it's just a matter of continuing to improve the talent level. But I, I think it's uh, it's only going to continue to go upward. One of the players that sat at my table said he was ready to run through a brick wall for Coach Wedge, and then I heard him come up and, and speak and kind of talk about the season. I think I was ready to do the same thing. So certainly get you up out of your seat and get you fired up a little bit. You know, I have heard him speak a few times, and it's always you get that kind of reaction. One year he was the keynote speaker at the first pitch banquet, and Darren Dreifert, who was still in the major leagues with the Dodgers at the time, was sitting at the table with my wife, and she said, there it got down. He said, all right, let's go. I'm ready to go out and play right now. Let's go suit up and, and play. It's just, you know, that's the effect he has on people. And and something I thought was uh, really interesting in his, that he said in his first coach's show, he's a tough guy. Uh, he's not unlike a Greg Marshall in terms of having high expectations and demanding a certain level of, of work ethic and so forth. But he also said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on somebody. I'm not going to go off on somebody for losing a game. It's not about results. The only thing I'll get on him about is a lack of work or a lack of effort, or if they don't care, they said that last one, I don't think is, is an issue. It's not something that's even going to come up with this group of young men that we have, but, uh, but they'll continue. I, I think that some of the guys have actually been a little scared of him. And I think you're starting to find out that you don't have to be on guard all the time, but he'll let you be loose and, and enjoy it. But when it's time to work, it's time to work and it's time to go out and compete. You've got to do that. But I, I think that, uh, that that's the effect he has on people, that they will, they will run through a brick wall for him. Well, it'll be an exciting spring in Wichita. Just three weeks from this Sunday, we will have an NCAA tournament bracket, and hopefully we'll be celebrating Wichita State's name in there. For our listeners, of course, you can follow Mike on Twitter at Shocker Voice. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you, guys. Always fun.
Welcome back to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. Our thanks again to Voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy, for joining the show. We'll move now into our preview segment, starting with Thursday's home matchup with the USF Bulls. The Bulls are 11-14 and 14 on the year and 4-8 and eight in the AAC. Wichita State won 56-43 on January 21st down in Tampa. But for those of us that watched, it was a pretty ugly game. It will tip at 6 p.m. on CBS Sportsnet this Thursday. And this is the pink game. The Shockers will have uh, some very bright uniforms that they'll be wearing out there. Your thoughts on this matchup, Taylor? Certainly one we've already mentioned you got to take care of business on. Yeah, this is basically a, a must-win game in the sense of you can't afford to lose it. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, WSU's resume, the thing that's keeping them afloat right now is that they don't have any bad losses. They don't have, you know, a Q3 blemish or a Q4 blemish like a lot of the teams that are on the bubble right now. So I think that is working uh, in WSU's advantage right now. So, uh, like you said, you know, making sure they don't suffer one of those losses would be uh, very, uh, you know, key for them to get in at large bid. So this is a game, like you said, you have to take advantage of, uh, take care of business. You know, USF, this is one of the worst offenses uh, in in the conference, if not the worst. So, uh, but, you know, they are capable, you know, as they proved, you know, two weeks ago when they go to Memphis and they still win there. So they score 75 points and stunned Memphis. So um, this is a team that, you know, if you're not careful, if they don't, you know, WSU doesn't bring its, you know, A or B effort, you know, this is a game that could go down to the wire. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, USF, this is a team that struggles to crack, you know, 55 points most games. So especially with the way that Wichita State, you know, they're so good at limiting one shot, forcing contested shots, uh, and USF, you know, when you make them work, they usually don't like that, and, you know, they usually that doesn't lead to good offense most times for USF. So this is a good matchup for WSU. Uh, the defense should be able to take care of business, uh, and it just is going to come down to a lot of the things that we, we talked about in the recap. You know, can they make open shots? Can they play faster at that fast uh, tempo? You know, USF likes to gamble a ton on defense, so if you can make them pay by gambling and and, uh, taking advantage of those uh, four-on-three, three-on-two fast breaks, that's going to be the key to the game for WSU. I think this is also a very good test to see how far along Wichita State's offense has truly come. Uh, Certainly the Bulls pay a little different level intensity of defense than UCF or Tulane does. So, you know, coming off 75 and 82 point performances respectively, it'll be interesting to see if they can get there. The Bulls are coming off of two straight losses to Houston and Tulsa. Nothing really to to shake your head out there. They score 62.1 points per game and allow 61.4, shoot at 40.9% from the field, and they're led in scoring by 6'4 junior guard David Collins, who scores 14 points per game. I'm going to have both you and producer Brian come in. Give me a prediction. All right, I'm going to go. I think WSU's offense it is on track, so I think they're going to uh, get the offense flowing. I will go 70, let's go 76 to 55. I, uh, I'm going to be very similar. I think the offense continues running effectively. I'm going to go 77 59. If they win the game, got to keep those pink jerseys going until you lose again. But uh, I think they break 70. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'll say 72 to 62. think it's a little closer there, uh, maybe at the end as they rest some guys and get ready for Sunday's matchup at Cincinnati. So it's a quick turnaround. You play at 6 p.m. on Thursday night. Then they travel to Cincinnati for a noon matchup that will be broadcast on ESPN. 
uh, with all due respect to the other teams in the conference, I think Cincinnati probably has the second best home atmosphere behind Wichita State. Houston's got a good one. Memphis has got a good one. But Cincinnati, you know, they pack them in there. They have a good student section. And uh, I think this is going to be a tough test for the Shockers. They've only beat Cincinnati one time since coming to the AAC. That was when Landry and, and those guys went there that first year and got the road win. So uh, we're going to see a tough matchup, but certainly not something that they can't do. So we saw Sensei lose to UConn in overtime right after beating Wichita State at home. We also saw them go to overtime with Memphis. So they, they have been lucky in these later games. And East Carolina. Yeah. They've been lucky in these late games to, to sneak some of them out. Or, you know, as you've said, it's so paper thin. They could be right in the situation Wichita State is. But I think... You almost have to look at this as a must-win to to really get the confidence and get the ball rolling down the road into the conference and NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's uh, it's a huge game for Wichita State. This would be, you know, assuming they take care of business on Thursday, this would be the first big test since you know going down to Houston and and getting rocked like that. So you know, this is gonna kick off that important five-game. Uh, finale uh, to the season you know it's going to prove kind of like what I said you know as WSU and NCAA tournament team you know if they are you know they're going to win the majority of those games but if they're not you know they're not so um, I think the the key is you know finding a way to slow down Jaron Cumberland and he's had you know he's been the bogeyman for for against the Shockers for three years now it seems like whatever whenever the two teams play he always has a big time game so if you were coach Marshall so Cumberland is scoring 16.3 points per game in conference play so it's not just Wichita State that struggled with him but we saw Dexter Dennis on him a lot in the last Mm -hmm. game are there other things that you would do if you're putting the game plan together Mike Kennedy talked about just limiting if he even touches the ball whatsoever and and and, you know, it's it's you open yourself up to risk when you focus all of your efforts and double teams on just one player. But what would you do if you were in the on the coaching staff? Yeah, it's it's a tough, uh, tough predicament. And I thought that Dexter did a good job for the most part um, on on defense. He was forcing him into a lot of contested threes. Um, I mean, he only went one for eight on threes. The problem was eight for nine on twos. You know, they could not stop him when he got. Uh, the, his motor going toward the basket and uh, like you said I mean this isn't just a WSU thing I mean this is you know he's the player of the year in the conference for a reason he's a very very good player but it's also true that it seems like Wichita State brings out the best in him and he's I would guess I haven't looked it up but I guess he would he would be averaging well over 20 points against Wichita State in all of his games in his career um, I know he had 24 last time they played earlier this year and uh, like Mike said, you know, they did a good job on vote. They did a good job on Trey Scott. And, you know, it was simply just Cumberland. He just took over at the end. So I think uh, what you have to do is, you know, they're going to run a lot of different defenders at him. But I think at the end of the day, you got to put Dexter on him and you got to let him, you know, just trust him to, to try to put the clamps on him and, you know, just live with the results and maybe have, you know, Jaime Echenique. You know, it's going to be tough because, you know, if you leave vote, you know, he's so good. Uh, and, and Cumberland is so good at finding him on, on lobs and dump-offs and stuff like that that I was going to say, you know, you have Jaime just be like, hey, uh, you know, whenever you see Cumberland drive, just you're, you're, it's your job to, to slide over and to prevent him from finishing at the rim. But that's going to take some extraordinary, you know, backdoor help from WSU. There are other players to make sure they cover vote and make those rotations. So that, that would be a very tough ask. But that's what I would do uh, just to make sure Cumberland doesn't beat you again. 
One of the biggest stats in this game, in my opinion, is rebounding. The Bearcats are plus 5.5 in rebounding in conference play. If we go back to the 80-79 game on February 6th in Wichita, the Shockers would get a stop only give to give up an offensive rebound. They would score to pull it back within two, only to give up a basket to you know have them be ahead four or six. And so it just seemed like they were always one play away the entire night. And of course, they scrambled at the end of the game. You had the great Sherfield three. It looks like they're going to win, but limiting Cincinnati's second chance opportunities certainly going to be a key on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, WSU was probably one of the they've had probably the, the one of the best uh, rebounding performances against Cincinnati. So that was a, a big plus for them. And I thought Jaime Echenique in a battle of you know two of the best centers in the conference. I thought he was uh, clearly uh, superior to vote, and he uh, he he got the better of that matchup the first time. Uh, he's gonna have to do that again the second time. You know, votes a, an excellent player, and you know he's a big body. So you know Jaime is gonna have to bring it again. Uh, on Sunday in a, in a tough road environment. It's going to be really interesting to see how WSU responds to adversity. You know, uh, you think back, you know, WSU took, you know, a pretty big lead early in that UCF game, and obviously the, the first half against Tulane, they just crushed them. So they haven't really had, a you know, a, a stretch of adversity since that Houston loss. So um, how are they going to respond after that, you know, the, the big meeting on uh, last Monday, you know, going through all that that stuff, uh, we haven't really seen how WSU is going to respond to taking a punch. So um, I think I, I think UCF went up like ten to four early on, and then Eric Stevenson kind of caught fire. So that was about as close as it got. But you know, you can guarantee that you know stuff is going to go down at Cincinnati. It's going to be a tough environment. You know, they're probably going to have to you know uh, uh, hold off a run from Cincinnati late in the second half, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these shock respond on the road and what you said like you said uh, you know probably the second toughest environment in the conference shockers are Ken Palm ranked number 37 the Bearcats are Ken Palm ranked number 39 so very close matchup here other thing thinking back to that home loss in early February is free throw so maybe it's just everything's been going in the basket lately but it seems like the free throw shooting has been a little better at least over these last couple games you look at a one-point loss there were some opportunities there where if you make your free throws that makes a a, a big difference on the final score and so uh, you know taking care of business at the charity stripe probably going to be another key to this one as well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, when it comes down to, you know, down the stretch, uh, every single point matters. And uh, Wichita State has kind of struggled getting to the line in a lot of these games. And that's, uh, that's kind of their problem is, you know, with these freshman and sophomore guards, they're still learning, you know, the tricks of the trade and how to finish inside and how to, you know, draw fouls and, and uh, not, you know, just take terrible shots at the rim and just throw up kind of circus shots and, uh, that's still a work in progress. You know, they're still not great at it. They're still not great at produce. You know, uh, you know, producing shots at the rim and finishing at the rim and drawing fouls. But, um, you know, uh, th- they are very good at producing wide open threes and getting open for off the dribble twos. And you know, Jamarius Burton has been has been great at at creating separation inside. And Etienne is is pretty good at that pull up jumper game. So. Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're a jump-shooting team. I don't think there's any question about that. And then with a, a good mix of, you know, post-up game with Echenique. So, uh, yeah, I think that getting to the line is going to be uh, a challenge. And, you know, Cincinnati, they're a tough, rugged defense, so there's probably going to be chances for them to, to draw fouls. And 
um, I think that that could be a key, like you said, uh, to determining the game when it's that close. You know who can get to the free throw line the more the most, and who can knock down the shots once they're there. Cincinnati probably has the easiest remaining schedule out of the you know four or five contenders in the conference. I think if you have any hope whatsoever of getting back into that first second place discussion, you got to win this one. And then of course, since he still goes to Houston uh, eight days later, and you got to hope they lose that. So you know it, it you can see it, but you have to squint a little bit. You you really <laughs> need some of that stuff to ha- to come through. Uh, let's make a prediction. Man, I think I am I am sold on uh, this WSU offense getting back on track. I think that um, Cincinnati, I mean, they're on such an incredible streak right now of, of really late-game luck. Uh, like you said, I mean, I think they've had like five or six games uh, determined in the last seconds uh, in overtime and regulation. So um, I, I like the way that WSU has looked these last two games. And I'm I'm all in on this team, you know, turning around its season. I think they do make it to the NCAA tournament with some momentum and uh, kind of like what they did last year and playing their best basketball in March. So I think uh, we're going to see an upset win on uh, on Sunday in Cincinnati. Um, I think I'll go 70 to 68. I think it's going to be down the stretch, another close game. But I think uh, WSU has what it takes, and it's going to be tough, but I think they find a way to slow Cumberland down enough to get the win. I think uh, it's it's one of those situations where I think Wichita State's going to play much better. I think we've seen some trends in the right direction the last few games, so I think that that continues during this game, but it's still a road game and, like you mentioned, one of the most hostile environments in the conference. And so it's while I think they're going to be right there at the end and they're going to play well or play a lot better than they had in their in their losing stretch, I just have a hard time seeing them get that, that win. I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. I think they will get some of the road wins they need, but I, I just don't necessarily see it. I want to be wrong, but I'm going to go Cincinnati 72-70. to 70. I watch a lot of AAC basketball. I watch a lot of basketball, period. But anytime there's a team from the American on, I like to watch it. And I've just never been that impressed with Tulsa this season. And I'm really not that impressed with Cincinnati. They have Cumberland, Cumberland's cousin, big tall guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, but but still, this should be a game that Wichita State is not only able to be competitive, but should be able to win, just like the game at Memphis coming up later in the year and hopefully at SMU. You know, and I'm biased, obviously. I'm, I'm cheering for Wichita State, but I think they'll get this taken care of. I'm going to go 72-68 to 68 and uh, have a big game from Echenique. I think he, uh, you know, realizes w- with each game that passes that, you know, that number keeps going down and uh, this is a big opportunity for him and hopefully they will prevail on Sunday well when you look back at that first meeting too you have to remember that uh, Cincinnati just shot the lights out and you know they shoot 69% on two pointers and you know yes you know they they're they're very good at that but you know they're not going to shoot 69% on a typical game so um, you know some of that had to do with just you know really really hot shooting and uh, you know if that comes down uh, then you know obviously WSU you know they're right in that game uh, you know the Shockers did not really shoot the ball very well uh, they obviously did down the stretch when they were making that that comeback but you know they were sticking in that game when uh, Cincinnati I think I remember after like 
uh, like 12 minutes in the game, Cincinnati was shooting like 70%, and they were only up like four or six, and WSU was shooting like 35%. So um, I think that had a, a had a factor, and I think if Cincinnati that comes down, they shoot you know closer to their averages. I think WSU's defense is good enough where it's going to have you know the law averages are gonna, are going to even out. And uh, we're going to see a more defensive game this time around. You'd also think as they're watching film from the game just a few weeks ago that, you know, Coach Marshall's going to be able to remind them, yes, you had a better game on the offensive end, but there are a lot of defensive lapses, a lot of easy, you know, two-point baskets close to the rim. Hopefully they, they come back with a little bit different defensive mindset on Sunday, you know. Don't be watching the XFL. We got a big old matchup in the AAC Sunday at noon. Buy or sell time, producer Brown. We've, we've talked some about the uh, mid-range game of Jamarius Burton, how he's been able to get to the lane, get to his shot, and, and has been much more consistent over the last few games. But I cannot help but notice that he seems to be thinking about every time he catches it wide open from three. He's made maybe a couple here and there, but in the over the last month, it looks like you know early in the season, you know he's like a fifty percent three point shooter. Now it's a small sample size. You know he's not going to be able to sustain that over the course of the season. But it seems like these last two months, he is really hesitating and really thinking about that three point shot. So buy or sell, Jamarius Burton is too hesitant to shoot the wide open threes when he catches it on the perimeter. Uh, I'll buy that. I think uh, it's just a. Uh... You know, it's a quality or a trait of a, of a young player, and I don't think it's just him. I think uh, Marshall kind of touched on it today in his press conference where uh, he said that he thinks this is, you know, arguably one of his best shooting teams he's ever had in 13 years. But, you know, you look at the shooting percentages and they don't line up. And, uh, you know, why is that? Because a lot of these guards are or all the guards are freshmen or sophomore, and they don't know when to shoot. Uh, you know, he, he made the point of, you know, they catch it, they're open, but they're not ready to shoot. Uh, and then they would catch it, but they're guarded, but they are ready to shoot, and they, they fire away anyway. And uh, I think Jamarius is a, is a great example of that where he catches. There's, there's times where he's wide open, and he catches it, and you can just tell that he's just not in the right, you know, the, he's not in the mindset of I'm going to uh, launch this right away where, you know, Eric Stevenson or Dexter Dennis or uh, Etienne, you know, they're, they're firing away automatically. But, you know, and that's a work in progress and not necessarily a bad thing uh, for JB because he's so good on the mid-range. But, you know, I think over time, you know, when he looks at it, uh, he is going to need to start, uh, you know, stepping up and shooting more confidently and making those threes. Uh, I think he's at like 34 or 35% right now, uh, much improved over last year. So uh, I think that that is kind of a, just a, a, a work in progress, not necessarily the worst thing, but it is something that, that he does have to improve on. I'm going to buy that as well. Now, I think this team does a very good job of trading a good shot for a great shot, or at least, you know, what we've seen here recently. I do think they also almost overshare it too much to where they're trying to go all the way around and find that perfect shot where, you know, you might not ever find that and it gets down into the shot clock. And we've seen, you know, some of those situations go in the opposite direction as well. But, you know, the way I look at it, Live three or die hard, baby. You know, you got to smoke him if you got him. If he's open, we need to be shooting. Smoke him if you got him. That's a good <laughs> – that's the headline right there. There you go. So, uh, moving on, we talked some about the net ranking. It's currently sitting right around 45. But if you look at all of the strength metrics, you know, the Ken Palm, all of those other ratings, it seems like Wichita State is coalescing right around – 
the upper 30s right now, and that's considering that they've had a three-game losing streak. So in your mind right now, is Wichita State a top 35 team? Not a, not a top 25, a top 35 team. I'm going to sell that. I think they're a top 40 team. I know I'm splitting hairs here, but... Uh, 36 to 40. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's if you look in the others receiving votes, and not that these AP guys know what they're talking about, but uh, I don't know. I, I just think there's a little bit of a gap there. Now, as we get into conference season, it seems the Power 5 schools get a little bit more respect, and that's because you know a lot of times they have more opportunities for these Quad 1 and Quad 2 victories. Uh, so the, the Shockers have pulled back a little bit, but you know certainly I think should feel comfortable ab- about their resume, as we've already talked about, no bad losses. Yeah, got a little uh, pull attack there, a little Gary Parrish. Um, I'll sell that as well. I think that, uh, but I will say that you know when this team is playing its best, when it is you know uh, the peak, you know when they're 15 and one. Uh, playing that that style of basketball and what we've seen in the last two games, you know, obviously their peak is you know top 35, but you know you look at the resume and you know who's the best one they they had, you know it's probably OU at Interest Bank Arena and you know they just haven't uh, proven on paper how good this team can be and you know when you stack it up against others in the country, you know other teams have much better cases in, in terms of you know getting those top of the top wins and. You know, yes, WSU looks good when you combine the the Q1 and the Q2. I think they have a winning record like seven and six or eight and seven or something like that. But you know, what's lacking on their resume is that top tier win. And you know, the a chance on Sunday, you know, at Cincinnati, that that could that would be the the best win of the season. Uh, but to this date, you know, they don't really have anything overly impressive. So I think on paper, I don't I don't see how you could put them in the top 35. Uh, when you just look at, uh, you know, the body of work, who they've beaten, um, and stuff like that. So I, I would go outside the top 35 for now. I don't think you can be fifth in the AAC and be top 35. So I, I know it's a little bit of, you know, lately biased there, but uh, it's hard for them to have their current conference record and, and be that high. Or we've spent some time talking about Noah Fernandes and how him coming into the starting lineup has kind of sparked the team. And really, he came out of nowhere as far as uh, playing time and what he was doing and, and really had, had an excellent game at UCF and again uh, at home against Tulane. But he's a different kind of point guard, right? He's the, he's the pass-first guy. He's not always looking to score. He's the guy who attacks... Uh, on the dribble drive and really is trying to push the pace. And so I'm going to go, you know, we've seen other teams have a point guard that can break somebody down and just get to the rim or can always shake their guy loose and get an open pull-up jumper. And we've always kind of pined for that. But is Noah Fernandes not the point guard Wichita State wants? But he's the point guard Wichita State needs. That's a little Batman reference there. <laughs> Getting get me fired up. You're first. Yeah, you got a little <laughs> excited there. Came up in your seat. Um, I I will, man, I will buy it, I guess, in the sense of it's another point guard on the floor. I, I don't think it's just uh, Noah on the floor. I think what they've found success in is uh, having three point guards on the floor with, with him and JB and Grant Sherfield all on the floor at the same time. They've really found success. And I think 
uh, a big part of that is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they're playing faster, they're, they're pushing in transition better, and I think that's because they have three outlets, you know, they can go one, two, three, like whoever is open, they can get it and go, and I think that's really helping them play faster, so I don't think you're going to see Noah ever, you know, you know, drop, you know, seven, eight, nine assists. Uh, that's just not, you know, the way that the offense works is that, they, I mean, they share the ball so well, but I think what you will see is that he's, uh, he's very good at keeping the ball moving. And too many times uh, in recent uh, games for WSU, the ball just stuck on the perimeter. And he's, he's been very good at, at, at moving the ball, creating for others, getting just little angles uh, to create for teammates. And um, we saw that uh, the Tulane game, you know, he had uh, the first three assists on the first three baskets of the game. So I, I do like him for this w, WSU offense, uh, and I think he does, you know, help them uh, elevate that offense because he's, he's that third point guard on the floor. Not only did Noah Fernandes come out of nowhere, how we pronounce Fernandes came out of nowhere. I'm just watching a game. I think it's Fernandez. All of a sudden, it's Fernandes. So, you know, it's been a nice little surprise here. One thing we haven't talked about on the show, which I think we should have, is the last two games, the offensive explosion has been centered around Echenique and really four guards out there as far as the, the starting lineup has been concerned. We've seen Trey Wade go to the bench, and so I think that has allowed them to run more. I think that has allowed more of those assist numbers that we've been looking at. But to answer your ultimate question, I'm going to sell it. I just think they have a stable of good point guards and you know whoever's hot hand or whoever's able to facilitate the most that night is going to be the best player for the team. That's a great point, though, about uh, the shift away from a second big. And, you know, Trey Wade, I thought he was, you know, he was solid, but maybe a little disappointing. I thought he was going to be more of a, of a high-impact player uh, for WSU. I want to see him more, down low more often. I mean, it seems like he kind of floats around the three-point line, and that, that's not a shot at him, yeah. but he reminds me of the Richard Kelly type who needs to be grabbing rebounds and going back up and getting those second-chance opportunities. I mean, he's, he's shown the ability to, to step out and hit threes, too, but he's another one that's a little hesitant or doesn't know when to shoot, it seems like. But um, he, he's been solid, but, uh, yeah, just uh, from how good he looked early in the season, he's kind of faded a little bit. And uh, to your point, you know, they've they've gone away. I mean, he was playing 20 plus minutes there for uh, basically the whole whole season. And now you look at the last two games, you know, WSU's playing way more four guard lineups. Uh, last two games for Trey Wade, 10 minutes, 12 minutes. So they've kind of shifted away from the two bigs approach and they've kind of uh, just gone all in on this small ball lineup playing Dexter Dennis at the four and uh, even sometimes Jamarius Burton. So um, I think that's that's really helped them, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, when they go up against a Cincinnati, where you know you're going to have to have somebody on Trey Scott and uh, teams like that. You know, Memphis they they run out two bigs a lot. Um, so Houston, you know, they're obviously a tough team on the glass. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how far this can can take them. But obviously, it's it's helped them a lot in the in the short term, playing four guards and, and playing faster, and you know, just spacing the floor better. One of the things that that I that I was thinking about is even though Wade is playing fewer minutes, they're bigger impact minutes. Like he was running the floor, getting to the rim to receive passes and make dunks against UCF. Like he was, he was making simpler plays. So even though I think his minutes were, were reduced, I think his effectiveness 
had picked up uh, considerably in those minutes that he was getting. So I think I think that's a good sign for him going forward as far as, like you said, picking your spots better on offense. And, and as far as, you know, going up against bigger guys, you know, I think the other, the other point to make with Dexter Dennis, he plays a lot bigger than his size. I mean, we've seen him – uh, what he could do against Gardner for ECU as far as playing somebody that's got a lot of physicality to their game. And I think that as long as we you pick your spots correctly uh, to trot out the four-guard lineup, I think that it can still be effective even against uh, Cincinnati. What's the fourth buy or sell? Oh, yeah, I guess I got to do the fourth <laughs> one. So we're going we're gonna to go talk a little bit about Houston since they're, they're really at the top of the conference. They're the one who looks most solidly into the NCAA tournament. And, and when watching those games in Wichita State, it just seems like their offense gets completely bogged down. Now, granted, they were on a bit of a skid during both of those encounters, but it's, it, watching the game, it looks like Houston has length at a bunch of positions. He's, they've got plus defenders at so many positions. And they've got a lot of guys who really can create and make tough, contested shots. And it just seems to me like if there's a team in the American Athletic Conference that is Wichita State's kryptonite, I think it's probably Houston by herself. I'm going to buy the hell out of that. And I actually want to ask Taylor, instead of giving his buy or sell answer, to maybe describe why Houston has had our number. Here's another team that we've only beat once since coming into the AAC. It was the first the AAC, out, the yeah, the stripe out at Coke Arena. In both of the games, at Coke and at Houston this year, it was a close game through the first five minutes or so. Let's say it's 12 to 8, 12 to 10. And then for some reason, we just had five, ten-minute stretches, even longer, where they just couldn't make a basket whatsoever. And before you know it, Houston's up twenty, and then you're, you know, you're you're playing catch up the rest of the time. So I'd be interested, actually, to hear what you have to say. Now, first, before you get to that, they still have to play Tulsa, they still have to play Cincinnati, they still have to go to UConn, which has proven to be, you know, somewhat of a tough place, and they still have to play Memphis at home. So I'm not completely writing Houston off for, you know, just running away with the conference, but why the heck have they been able to beat the crap out of us? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a lot to do with uh, their defensive makeup and uh, kind of like what producer Brian was saying, you know, they have so much length at every position and they're so athletic. And, you know, what stands out to me is their big guys are always super athletic, super tough, super hard-nosed, and it, it seems like they always have an advantage at that spot. And uh, and what they do on defense when, you know, uh, w, what's WSU's biggest advantage right now? It's Jaime Echenique in the post. So when you throw him the ball, they, they play what they call a monster defense, and they send their second post player, no matter where he's at on the floor, they send him to double team uh, the center or whoever gets the the catch uh, the the post catch. So you know Echenique catches on the left block. They're gonna send the second post guy to double team him, and then the the three guards are so good at rotating and taking away the three closest passes. So they're gonna make you throw all the way over the top, or at least try to. And uh, you know Echenique is just not you know that good at finding pa- or finding. Uh, players, you know, cross court and making that that outlet pass, and you know, WSU had like one or two successes where you know they were able to beat the rotations, and they found Trey Wade, you know, cutting to the basket for an easy basket. But you know, for the most part, you know, you and they're just gonna gamble that they can uh, do it better than than what you can, better than how you can make the make you know make them pay on offense, and you know, it's so hard to to capitalize on that. 
and you know it's so hard to, to get open looks and you know for as good as WSU's offense has been at producing good looks against everybody else you know Houston just does not give that those up to the shockers and uh, you know they're so good at making you earn everything and you know uh, those two games, you know, WSU just was not earning anything. You know, the 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 ball movement, the player movement, just wasn't very crisp. And, and I off- mean, just ripping the ball out of people's hands, yeah. deflecting passes. I mean, just I, I've never seen a Marshall team get big boyed like that, yeah. like we did in the game at Houston. Yeah, that was the first time I think. Yeah, he said that it looked like his team quit out there and. Um, yeah, I mean that's what uh, Houston will do to you, and if you're if you're you know, I mean if you don't fight back, so yeah, it's just not a very good matchup just because of how good they are on defense and what they do to you in the post, and you know they pr- pretty much just take Achinike completely out of the game, and you know without him, that's WSU's basically most consistent source of offense, and uh, you know without a post up game that that really limits what you can do on offense and turns you into a jump shooting team even more. And if you're not making wide open jumpers, you know that's that's going to be a long, long day. So, um, yeah, if I'm WSU, I do not want to see Houston at all in the conference tournament. I would make it a point if they're the one seed, I want to be the two or the three, or I guess the the six. Uh, I don't think WSU will fall oh that boy. far, <laughs> but I think you would want to be on the opposite side of the bracket and then hope that somebody can knock them off uh, before you play them. Or I mean, if you make it to the championship game, then. Uh, then you're feeling pretty good about yourself anyway. But that's a team, yeah, they do not want to see before the championship. You know, we're pretty proud of our program, and rightful, rightful, rightfully so. We've had, uh, you know, a really good run here, uh, really, you know, throughout Marshall's entire tenure. But if we're going to continue to puff our chest out here in the AAC, we got to start beating Houston, and we got to start beating Cincinnati. Yeah, those are the two teams that have run the conference basically since WSU came in, and uh, you know, the Shockers are going to have, you know, things are lining up if this core stays together. You know, they're going to be very, very good uh, in the next two years. But, uh, yeah, at some point, if you're going to be the top dog in the conference, you know, like they were in the Missouri Valley, you got to beat the best. And uh, like you said, you know, Cincinnati, Houston, those are the best right now. It's like the damn Monstars out there. They just sucked our power right out of us in that game. I have a question for you, too, and, and I might weigh in a little bit as well. I've asked this several times throughout the season. We're on the stretch run now. If you could give this team one thing, one power, not not something from outside, but you know, we're going to have a five-guy step up or we're going to have X, Y, or Z happen, what would be that one thing that you would have happen to lead to the Shockers' success for the rest of the year? I think uh, if I'm if I'm thinking about the one power that I would like to give this team, you know, the defense has been consistent. It's been relatively solid all year long, other than with maybe some some bad stretches here and there in some games. But I would like to see them set and run off of screens better. I think if there's one thing offensively this team could do better at, it's using their screens more effectively to get guys free. And there's times when they do it well you know, with the off-ball movement, but I just don't think it's consistent enough. I think particularly the on-ball screens uh, could be set stronger or run off better. So if I'm going to pick the one thing, I think that's really going to unlock the offense because I think they're going to continue to look for one another and continue to be unselfish. Yeah, I think for me it's just, you know, consistent – you know, shooting like they shoot in practice. And, you know, like Marshall said, you know, he he would put this team 1 through 13 up against any team he's ever had at WSU. And, you know, if that's going to be true, you can't shoot 32% from three uh, for the season. You know, that needs to be 
37, 38, 39. I think the the team three years ago uh, shot like 40% as a team. So um, if WSU is really that good at shooters, then uh, you know they're getting wide open looks. Like I like I uh, said earlier in the the podcast. You know when I looked back and watched on film and charted how many what they were shooting on open looks. You know the Tulsa game, two for 16 on wide open threes. You know that's just not going to get it done. So uh, you know the, what we've seen the last two games. You know, shooting 50% plus on wide open looks, that's what this team needs, uh, especially, you know, once it gets to March and, you know, those open shots are probably going to dwindle. So you're going to have to take advantage of, you know, the open shots that you do get and open opportunities. You know, you're going to have to convert. It's going to be even more important to convert them. So I think if this team could uh, could pick anything, it would just be, you know, converting making wide open shots that they're getting because uh, they're getting a lot of them right now. So that that would be my pick. I said this last time and I'll say it again. We need one more person at the five to step up, whether it's Midgard, Big Mo, or Poor Bear. One more of those guys to step up because if Echenique is ever in foul trouble, we're always a step slow at the center position. We always have no idea what's going on. All these fans, put Midgard in, put Midgard in. What the hell has Midgard done? He has regressed a little bit this year. He had the, he had the big block last game. Uh, okay, he had one block. He's seven foot tall. You're supposed to be in there getting big blocks. But that just one of those guys to play a little bit more consistency consistently would be what I'd ask for. Yeah, that would be big. Uh, but give uh, Echenike a lot of credit. You, know, you remember last year, I mean, he could not play over you know, 20 25 minutes and now it seems like every game he's playing over 25 minutes and he's been so consistent and so strong uh, for the Shockers in his uh, senior year I've been uh, so impressed with the leap that he's made and uh, and it's kind of easy to forget you know how much you know foul trouble and stamina issues that he had last year because I feel like you know you just kind of take it for granted you know that he's going to play 30 and, and get you a double double every every game now. Also wanted to give a shout-out to our own Taylor Eldridge, Mr. APSE, whatever that means. Three big-time awards by your peers. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Oh, you know, give, let's award. get a humble brag. <laughs> yeah, humble brag. it was founded by my mom, so <laughs> she couldn't give me all what, of them. Tell, tell her, what does APSE stand for? It's the Associated Press Sports Editor. So it's, uh, yeah, it's basically a national award. Uh, they they separated into four different I guess circulation sizes. So you know like the tier one is like the national media, uh, super huge cities like New York and LA. Uh, tier B would be like the KCs and the uh, kind of the the cities like that. And then tier C was like Wichita, those size cities. And D would be the uh, the smaller towns and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, it was super cool. I got one for, uh, for overall beat writing. So that was, uh, the one I was excited about cause that was kind of like the top one. Uh, it, you had to submit five different things to kind of show, uh, your versatility and, uh, on the beat. So I was really excited to get that one. And then I got one for, uh, explanatory. So very good at, at explaining things, I guess. And then, uh, one for multimedia for, uh, for my video breakdown stuff. So, um, yeah, I told my just mom, waiting on that podcasting award. When, yeah, when are we yeah. getting those going? Uh, yeah, so my mom. What, what did you com- tell your mother? Yeah, I was. She always complains like when we, uh, family get-togethers, I'm always tired and you know sleeping, and it's because I stay up so late watching film. And 
and explaining I, things. Yeah, yeah, and explaining <laughs> things. Yeah. So now I can show her like, hey, this is actually paying off. This is why I'm so tired all the time. So I have a question for you. On Twitter, Jeff Rosen, sports editor KC Star, said, "Well earned, Taylor. If they awarded an award for nattiest dressed, you'd win that too." What What the hell does nattiest dressed mean? I don't know. Do you think he meant? I don't know if it, he meant like nastiest or I don't know. Nicest, I think it was nattiest, a, natty light. Yeah, I nattiest? think it was a compliment. I mean, you're looking good right now. Got a little quarter zip on, a yeah. tie. Can't see that, got, but got you know, pink tie on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Greg complimented me on it today. So at the press conference, so. Yeah, I mean, I was, typically I've, I've we always invert, been told, right? We typically invert when we do the podcast because <laughs> Taylor will dress up and Dustin <laughs> and I will schlub it. And then when we're dressed up, yeah. it's it's Taylor's turn. Dustin's in it. like pajamas right now. Well, actually. I've always, I've always been told I had a face for radio, so I better just stay on this side of things. But Taylor, man, he's he's moving on up, baby. Yeah. So it was yeah, it was really cool. Um, yeah, I put on uh, my Instagram that you know not even, I mean it was just crazy. Like not even five years ago, I was you know I just remember going to old Chicago basically every night to. I was like running my own websites and, you know, writing like crazy. I would write, you know, probably 20 plus stories a week, you know, sometimes for as cheap as like $15 for like a, a local newspaper out in Goddard. And, uh, you know, I was just grinding and grinding and grinding, uh, didn't, you know, it was, it was tough because, you know, I was 26, I think, and didn't get a full-time job for a long time after college. And it was tough to, you know, kind of keep the faith that it was going to work out and, uh, finally got a chance with uh, Wichita Eagle. They hired me back in uh, 2016 to do high schools, and then shortly after moved over to, to Wichita State. So, um, yeah, it's crazy now. I get to travel over the country and, uh, you know, get the salary. The paychecks are nice, and it's n- it's nice not living paycheck to paycheck anymore and uh, get to travel and cover You're Division One basketball Disney World team. last week uh, in gotta, Orlando. Yeah, I got to go to Disney World, so – yeah, it's incredible, and uh, yeah, what I put on there was that, you know, now that I got to taste a lot of that stuff, I mean, I love uh, the grind even more, and like I like I was saying, you know, watching video, uh, breaking down the games, you know, finding new ways to explain things to, to Wichita State fans, to show people, you know, more than just the box score, more than just, you know, who's scoring the points, I mean, I love that stuff, and that that's never changed and it's uh, you know grown even more i guess over over time so it's it's been really cool to you know get recognized for the work and uh yeah i mean this is the first time i've ever you know uh tried to to i guess submitted my work for a national award and first time to get it so it's it's pretty cool well all jokes aside it is very well deserved i will say any time that i'm you know watching something about the shockers and i think you know that would be a pretty good story it seems like the very next morning i get on twitter and there's a story popping up and so you weren't kidding about the grind always pumping out good content at kansas.com and on twitter and hopefully uh every once in a while getting behind the mic and, and doing some good things yeah thank you for reading that off i appreciate you well on that moment what do you got to do taylor <laughs> do we need to <laughs> hug it out now <laughs> we're currently hugging folks you can't see it but we are hugging yeah. but remind the folks you can always listen to us and rate us five stars <laughs>